So most of you know this, we've been walking uh, verse by verse, passage by passage through the book of Mark for several months, and now we take a break from that for obvious reasons, to glory in the resurrected Christ. So pray with me as we head in that direction. Let's pray. Lord, you are risen, and you're alive, and you see, and you hear all that goes on today. All the worship comes before you today, and you're the living God. So God, let us worship you rightly. Let us glory in your word and glory in your resurrection. God, help us to see you high and lifted up. Give me help, God. Be with my mouth. Help me to preach your word. And I pray for every hearer of your word, God, that you would help to understand and to know you more deeply, to be filled with faith in you, filled with worship towards you. Help us today, God, as we open your powerful word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, before we get to 1 Corinthians 15, which is what you're sheet outlines, your study guide outlines, I just want to say some things. Uh, Jesus made some big, massive claims, did he not? Some big, massive claims. Let me give you some example. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. Luke 22, verse 70. They all said, are you then the Son of God? So he said, you rightly say that I am. You don't get much clearer than that. He's the Son of God. He claimed to be the promised Messiah. Mark 14, verse 61. The high priest asked him, saying, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. You don't get much clearer than that. He claimed to be the only Savior. John chapter 3, verse 17. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And He went on to say, I'm the way, not a way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through Me. The only Savior and the only way to be saved. He made some massive claims. Massive claims. If you zoomed out and just caught the, the full thought of the whole Scriptures, what you have is God who is he's incomprehensible. He's, he's the Trinity. He's God Almighty, one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they're distinct from one another. God is, the Father's not the Son. The Son's not the Holy Spirit. And so there's three gods, right? No, there's one God. And we don't understand how this comes together. And Jesus just said, I'm the Son of God. I'm in that triune God. I'm Him. And He comes in the flesh. One of the persons, the second person of the Trinity, that God the Son comes in the flesh. He takes humanity onto His divinity and He comes to rescue us from our sins. And He dies as a substitute in our place. And every person that puts their hope in Him can be saved forever. These are massive claims. Massive claims. So how do we know that they're true? How do we know that the claims of Jesus are true? And we know because three days later, after taking the bullet of God's wrath for us, He comes soaring out of the grave as the risen One. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and another Mary came to see the tomb. You know where Jesus was laid? 
Verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and His clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of Him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He said, I know you're looking for the One that died on the cross. He's not here, for He is risen. As He said, come, come and see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead. And indeed, He is going before you into Galilee and there you will see Him. Behold, I've told you. How do we know His claims are true? Because Christ Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. Acts 17 verse 31. It says, He's given assurance of this to all or proof to all. How? By raising Him from the dead. The fact that He is alive, raised from the dead, and the tomb is empty is proof that His claims are true. Romans 1.4 It says, He is declared to be the Son of God. How? With power, through the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. How do we know He's really the Son of God? Because He was raised from the dead. Many people on earth have taught many, many different things. How do you know who to believe? Many people, high people high up, teachers, have claimed many things. How do you know who to believe? All of them are dead. Except one. His tomb is empty. He's been raised from the dead. How do we know? How do we know that Jesus really raised, has been raised from the dead? How do we know this? And we're going to dive into this in 1 Corinthians 15 in just a moment. I just want to say a few things. It's just like you would come to know any verdict in a court case. Okay, Anything you would know in a court case. Think about the shootings that happened in the movie theater. James, what was it? Uh, his name was James. I forgot his last name. Uh, Holmes in Aurora, Colorado. You remember that? They said this man went in and shot these people. How do you know? How do you know that he was the shooter? Because we have eyewitness accounts that saw him shoot those people. We have, we know that, the, we see these eyewitnesses. How do we know they're credible? Because they're reasonable people who can perceive something and say, yes, we saw that happen. And they've got no ulterior motive. Not to mention their eyewitness account lines up with multitudes of other eyewitnesses. We know that he did it. Now, what if I came to you today and said, Paige Noble was the shooter? How would you prove me wrong? I saw, there's eyewitnesses that saw. No, James, that guy, he was the shooter. We saw him. And there, there are multitudes of eyewitnesses that saw that. Paige Noble was not there when it went down. She was in Gatlinburg skiing during that time. I don't know if that's true. But, <laughs> but do you get what I'm saying? Eyewitness accounts is what we're talking about. So how do we know that Jesus rose from the dead? Real eyewitness accounts and not only that but hundreds hundreds of credible reasonable eyewitnesses in agreement with one another and if it's true that Jesus is raised from the dead then his claims are true and you must deal with them what will you do with a resurrected Christ what will you do with a resurrected Jesus now first Corinthians 15 is where we're at in the scriptures, but before we go there, before we get to our passage, I want to say a few things about the resurrection of Jesus, okay? Just before we get there, we're going there. First, let me define what I mean when I say resurrection. When I say the resurrection of Jesus, what do I mean? 
When we speak of Jesus' resurrection, we are not talking about someone who raised from death to life only to die again, like Lazarus. Jesus' resurrection was very much so different than the resurrection of Lazarus, who would go on to die again. Listen to Acts 13.34. He raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. This means raised from the dead. Still alive right now as we speak. Knows what's going on in this room. This is the reason it's nonsense. The language here in our culture. When Jesus was alive. He's still alive. He's risen from the dead. No more to return to corruption. Also, defining the resurrection. What do we mean? When I speak of the resurrection of Jesus, I'm talking about a real resurrected body. Before Jesus was crucified, He was not some sort of visible spirit on earth. He was a real man with a real body. And after His resurrection, same thing. He's not some sort of visible spirit. He's a real man with a real body. Luke 24, verse 36-39. You can go read those later. If you read those accounts, you see Jesus comes in His resurrected state to His disciples, to His apostles. And they look and they're, they're fearful. They think, maybe we've seen a spirit. Maybe we've seen a ghost. And Jesus says, no, you need to come, come feel me, touch me, handle me. He ate in front of them. He, he said, flesh and bones does not feel like this. Flesh and bones does not eat and speak to you the way I do. Jesus is the Son of God incarnate, meaning He became flesh. The eternal Son of God, God who is Spirit, took on a body, became a human so that He's fully human and fully God at the same time. Time And in the resurrection, He retains His humanity forever. So that even now, this is amazing, there's one from your own stock seated at a throne in heaven. From your own stock, there's a man there. He's risen from the dead. I believe that Jesus' resurrection is a very neglected topic. And you can see this. You can see this in many ways how the resurrection of Jesus is neglected. But one way you see it very clearly is in the preaching of the gospel. Many people, as you're thinking about going out and sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel, many people do not even believe that, you, that, that the resurrection of Christ is a part of that gospel. And if you do, so often it's, you preach the cross of Christ, which is of utmost importance, but you preach the cross of Christ and you just tag the resurrection on at the end. It's kind of an appendage at the end. It's very much so neglected in our culture. Whereas when you read the, the preaching of the gospel through Acts, it is heavily set, heavily centered on the resurrected Christ Jesus the Lord. And you could go bracket those in in Acts. You could just read through Acts. And every time you see them preaching the gospel, bracket it in and you see it. See it for yourself. Now how important is the resurrection of Jesus? Listen to Greg Gilbert, listen to what he said. The resurrection is the hinge on which all Christianity turns. It's the foundation on which everything else rests and the capstone that holds everything else about Christianity together. Amen? Is that true? The resurrection of Jesus Christ, how important is it? Many people think about the resurrection. I want you to think with me on this. They think about it as just one of the many doctrines that we adhere to because we believe the Bible. But I want to tell you that that 
thinking should be flipped. The reason we believe the Bible is because because of the resurrection of Jesus. Listen to how one teacher said it. The Gospels do not explain the resurrection. The resurrection explains the Gospels. Belief in the resurrection is not an appendage to the Christian faith. It is the Christian faith. The, the resurrection of Jesus is actually the foundation. It's the reason I believe the Bible. It's the reason I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and His claims are true because of the resurrection of Jesus. Today we hear things like, we just have to believe. You just got to believe, man. It's just blind faith. Just believe. And I say nonsense. A better statement was you must believe because Christ Jesus has risen from the dead and there's evidences to prove it. Now understand this, that most people in this room, you did not come to faith in Christ because you considered the the resurrection account and the evidences of the resurrected Christ. That's not the reason most of you came to faith in Christ, and I realize that. and, And later on maybe, and hopefully today, thoughts about the resurrected Christ and the evidence there strengthen your faith, but you didn't come to the faith that way, most of you. That's just the culture we live in. But I want you to think about it. That's the culture we live in. But in the book of Acts and throughout history and many places all over the world, people come to Christ because of the the evidences to the resurrection of King Jesus. Many atheists have dug into these evidences of the resurrection of Jesus and come to faith. They went out to disprove it. They came out Christians on the other end. Now, why would it be so persuasive? Why would it be such a major persuader? Because it's true and it's convincing. The resurrection of Jesus is extremely important, extremely important. And everybody here, believer or unbeliever, you must consider the claims of the resurrection of Jesus. You must consider them. It's not just blind faith, it's not fairy tale faith. Christ really lived, Christ really died. Christ really was risen from the dead and these facts and this evidence is what we rest our faith on in the risen Christ. Okay, You must consider these things. And I say that because of many reasons. And one is this. I've spoken to many atheists in my time as a Christian. And over and over, these people that don't believe God, that don't believe Christ is who He said He is. And, and the things that I usually gear toward asking them are this. Well, one is I ask them, do you understand the main message of the Bible? And they say, yes. And I say, can you tell it to me? And they can't. And so the the point is they're rejecting something they don't understand. Okay. but here's the second thing I ask them. I say, I say, have you considered the evidences of the resurrection of Jesus? Have you considered it at all? And they, maybe they tell me no, maybe they tell me yeah. If they tell me yeah, I ask them, what, what are they? And they don't know them. The, the, the majority of people that I talk to, maybe not all, but they, they've come to this claim that Christ Jesus is not God in the flesh. He's not the Savior of the world. And they come to that without ever considering the evidences of the resurrected Christ. And it's a problem. And, and, and why, why don't they consider it? Maybe they don't want to. Maybe it's a rebellious heart. Or maybe they've never had anybody come and show it to them. And just for a second, and we are, we're about to go to 1 Corinthians 15, but just let me get you to just think about this for a second. Can you imagine, I was thinking about this while I was studying the resurrection and, and people that, atheists maybe, that don't even, never even considered these facts before, okay? And I'm thinking about that. And I'm thinking, can you imagine an, an atheist being in the time of the book of Acts and how he would be witnessed to? Can you imagine that? 
He, he, somebody comes to him. Jesus is Lord. He's the Son of God. He's the God of the universe. And He came in the flesh to die for your sins and save you. He said, how, how do I know that? He told me. <laughs> you say, well, how do you know? How can I believe? How can we believe what He says is true? He rose from the dead. Well, how do you know He rose from the dead? I saw Him. I saw Him. Well, prove it. Come look at the tomb. Nobody's in the tomb. I saw Him. Well, you're just crazy. Ask Mary. Mary. Yeah, she saw. Ask the twelve. Did you? Yeah, we saw him too. I saw him. Well, you guys are just all hallucinating. You're just hallucinating is what y'all are doing. Get 500 people at one time. Saw him. Go ask them. 500 people cannot hallucinate at one time. They saw him. They saw him. Oh, you guys are just lying because you got some kind of you got some kind of motive. You got some kind of motive. You just want people to come on to your cause. You have a motive. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Pretend like Jesus rose from the dead and get my brains beat in for the rest of my life. You see this? We saw him. Can you imagine that? First Corinthians 15. Let's finally get there. Now, we're going to do 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 through 19, but we don't have time to go through all these verses. So I want to pull out some major points from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 19. Let's start off by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 8. It's the top of your study sheet. And here's what I titled it. Jesus really died. Jesus was really raised. Or, you can entitle this the evidential significance of the resurrection. In other words, there's a spiritual significance and there's evidence. And this is what the first eight verses are giving us. He really died. The evidence is here, okay? So let's read it. 1 Corinthians 15. Told you to flip and I forgot to flip. 15, listen to it. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you which you also receive and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that He was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that He was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all He was seen by me also as one born out of due time. So here's what you have. Paul, who was an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ, he saw him walk on earth again after he was crucified and buried in the tomb for three days. Paul, an eyewitness, is writing to Corinthian believers who live about 812 miles away from the site of the tomb that is empty. And Paul is writing to them. There were probably not many eyewitnesses in Corinth of Jesus' resurrection, these are people that had come to believe the credible eyewitness accounts that they had heard. And now they were followers of Christ. And Paul wants to remind them of what? The gospel. He says the gospel, which has already been preached to you, which you've already received, the gospel in which you stand. It's very clear from verse 1 and 2. This is the gospel that saves souls from hell. And he wants to remind them of this gospel. And in verse 3 he says, that which is of first 
importance. My version says, first of all, some versions say of first importance, just a reminder, another, another layer of how important is the resurrection of Jesus? How important? It just said, he just said in the scriptures, first of all, is this gospel and the resurrection of Jesus is a part of this gospel. It's first of all of first importance. Now, verses three through eight that we just read are going to get down to the nitty gritty of the gospel, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. And here are some points that I want to pull out very quickly. Did you notice he said Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures? He was buried. He rose from the dead according to the Scriptures. The death and resurrection of Jesus was prophesied long before the Son of God took on flesh. You can see this in places like Isaiah chapter 53. In Isaiah 53, it says that He was crushed for our iniquities. That He entered into a grave. That He was like a lamb going to the slaughter. And then a little bit later it says, He prolonged His days. He's the resurrected one and it's spoken about all through the Old Testament. You can see this in many other places which we're not going to go into now. This passage also tells us this. The reason for His death. Okay, what does it say right there in verse 3? Christ died what? For our sins. The reason for His death is for our sins. He died as the substitute. We were supposed to experience eternal death, eternal hell for our sins, but our sins laid upon Him and He experiences the death instead. He tasted our death. He took our punishment. And then we see in this passage the surety of His death. Notice that it says, He died for our sins, verse 4, and that He was buried. The surety of His death. He really died. It's a sure thing. He was buried. Professional executioners affirmed it and buried Him and placed Him in a tomb. It is an uncontested fact that Christ Jesus lived and that Christ Jesus was crucified, that He hung on a cross. Nobody's contesting that. Okay? It is intellectual suicide for anybody, believer or unbeliever, to contest the fact that He lived and that He was crucified. Nobody's contesting that point. So the question is not, did he die? Yes, he died. The question is, was he God in the flesh dying to rescue us from our sins? That's the question. So how do we know that Jesus is who he claimed to be? And the passage says right here in verse 4, he rose again the third day. And what we have in this in this passage, okay, we have two strands of evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. Christ, Jesus, rose from the dead. Two strands of evidence for this resurrection. You've got number one, the empty tomb. And you've got number two, the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. In other words, there are eyewitnesses to an empty tomb. Eyewitnesses that love Jesus and eyewitnesses that hated Jesus to an empty tomb. And there's eyewitnesses to the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Meaning, after His resurrection, He appeared to people and they saw Him. These are the same... If you, you remember that what we just read in Matthew 28 about the angel who rolled back the stone and sat on it? These are the two evidences that He pointed them to. Do you remember that? He makes the claim... He is risen. That's what the angel says in Matthew 28, verse 6 to 7. He is risen. And then he makes this claim. See the place where they laid him. Look at the empty tomb. Evidence number one. 
And then he says, go into Galilee and there you will see him. You will see him. This is what Dr. Luke in Acts chapter 1 verse 3 called infallible proof. The empty tomb and the eyewitness accounts of seeing him after he rose. These are evidences of the resurrection of Jesus. So let's talk first about the empty tomb, okay? The empty tomb. This is a big deal. Friday, he's crucified, laid in the tomb. Sunday, he's not there. It's an empty tomb. First Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, it just plainly says it. He's buried. So the implication here, if he's buried and he rose from the dead, the implication is it's empty. The tomb is empty. He's buried in the tomb. He's put in the tomb and now he's risen. So the tomb is empty. I want you to think about this. There's plenty of people, plenty of people in Jerusalem when he's buried in that tomb, when Christ is crucified, plenty of people that wanted to stop the movement of Christ followers going, going on in Jerusalem. Romans hated Jesus, wanted to stop it. The Jews hated Jesus. They wanted to stop it. Well, why was it spreading like wildfire? Because people were running around saying, I saw Him. They saw Him. We've seen the resurrected one. So if they wanted to squash Christianity from the very beginning, they only had to do one simple little thing. What did they have to do? Go get the body and show it to them. And if these people, plenty of people that hated Jesus in Jerusalem, if they just go get the body and show it to the multitudes, Christianity is squashed in a moment. So why didn't they? Because the body was not there. Christ is risen from the dead. So, so, so why? Why was the body not there? I say it's because Christ has risen from the dead. Why was the body not there? Some people have said, well, maybe, maybe they went to the wrong tomb. And that's just silly. Here's a few, few reasons why that's very, very silly. Jesus died a famous death. A famous death. Everybody knew. Remember Luke 24, where, where the guy's walking the road to Emmaus, and Jesus is resurrected, and he says, Are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what happened in these days? Everybody knew. Everybody knew where he was buried. They did not. It's a silly thing to think they went to the wrong tomb. Mass multitudes of people are in Jerusalem for the Passover. Remember that? Mass multitudes. Everybody knew where he went. He was laid in a rich man's tomb, according to Luke 23.50. A well-known man's tomb. He was laid there. Everybody knew where he was laid. Not to mention Roman guards are set over it so that nobody steals the body. You don't miss this tomb. Go to the one where the Roman guards are standing. And we see in Luke 23.55, it says the women, Luke 23.55, the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. It is a silly thing to think that they went to the wrong tomb. Silly thing. Okay, some people might say this. They might say, well, maybe the disciples came and they stole the body. Why? Because we know the body's not there, not there. Otherwise, the Romans, why didn't they just show the body? The body's not there. Well, maybe the disciples, maybe they stole the body from the tomb. And this too is very, very silly. Here's why it's silly. Number one, they'd had to sneak past the Roman guards in front of the most famous burial site in history. Number two, they'd had to break the seal on the tomb without them noticing. Number three, they would have to roll back the heavy stone without them noticing. Number four, they had to drag out the body without them noticing. And number five, they'd have to find somewhere to stash the body without anyone noticing. And, and I, I want you to think about this, okay? If they go and deceive these people, how silly would it be 
They, they just see these people and they spend the rest of their life doing what? Being hung out upside down for a deception? Be, being, having their skin peeled off their body for a deception? Being killed and beheaded and beaten for a deception? It's a silly thing to think that they just deceive people. Christ has risen from the dead and this is the reason that the tomb was empty. Nobody was there. Okay, now let's talk about the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Evidence number two. Post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. Okay, listen, listen to the evidences in verse 5 through 8. We've already talked a little. I just want to read it here. Okay, listen to verse 5. After it said He's rose from the dead, listen. He was seen by Cephas. That's Peter. What's the evidence? Peter said, I saw him. Is he insane? Is he crazy? Why would you not believe his testimony? He says, I saw him. Now, I understand that's just one man, but let's keep reading. And then by the twelve, Jesus was seen walking on earth again. He appeared to the twelve. That's twelve men said, we saw him. What are you going to do with these eyewitness accounts that said we saw Jesus walk on earth after he's dead? He's not in the tomb. You know that. And we're telling you, we saw him walking on earth again. You say, that's that's, that's just 12 people, okay? Verse 6. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. At one time, Jesus appears to a group of 500 people and they all saw him walking on earth again after he had been crucified. And then listen to what he says. Of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Listen to me here. Why is he saying that? He's saying most of them are still alive. Hey, Corinthians, take the ride across the Mediterranean, the 800-mile journey, take it over there, and ask those 500 people, most of them are still alive, ask them. And one after the other, they're going to say, yes, yes, yes. Maybe there's a few crazies in there, but, but most of them are saying they're in their right mind. Go ask them, he says. Verse 7, after that, he was seen by James. James saw him. Probably his brother, his own brother that denied him, that didn't want anything to do with him. And now what has happened? Why would his brother now turn things around and begin to bow down to his own brother as Lord? Because he saw him rise from the grave. He saw him risen. And then by all the apostles. Verse 8, then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. Paul says, I saw him too. I saw him. You have these eyewitness accounts to the resurrection of Jesus. So think about this. How does a movement, a movement of people following Christ, how does a movement happen in Jerusalem that's rooted in the evidence that he rose from the dead in Jerusalem? You get what I'm saying? Like if like if I was trying to deceive people, okay? And you got all these people in Jerusalem and this is where I want the movement to start in Jerusalem, well then I would say he rose from the dead like a thousand miles away so nobody could check me on it. But in Jerusalem, it explodes of people following Christ. 3,000, 5,000, and on and on and on. And all they have to do is walk down the street and look into the tomb. He's risen from the dead. This is the reason Christianity exploded. Because people everywhere, they were going around everywhere saying, we saw Him, we saw Him, we saw Him. He's risen from the grave. So based off of this evidence, here's, here's what you must believe. Okay, Here's what everybody here, I don't care... You know, Christian, not Christian. Here's what you must believe. You have to believe at least this far. There was a man named Jesus 
who claimed to be God in the flesh, who claimed to be the only hope for mankind and to, and to be the way you can be saved from eternal punishment. You have to go at least there. There's a man who claimed it. You have to believe this. He was crucified and killed and buried in a tomb. You must believe this, that three days later, that tomb was empty. Maybe you disagree with why it was empty, but you must agree it was empty. And you must agree that multitudes of people, reasonable people, credible people, have said that they saw Jesus walking around on earth again after He was killed. That's what you must do. And then you have to take these evidences and you need to interpret them. What do they mean? What does this mean? Will you say that the tomb was empty because someone stole the body? Or you conclude that Christ Jesus demonstrated His power over the grave? Will you say that all those eyewitnesses, it just must have been insane. Or you say that these eyewitnesses, they, they were a clear case that Christ Jesus has risen from the grave. Will you conclude that if Jesus is risen from the dead and still alive as we speak, then He must be everything that He claimed to be. And therefore, will you bow down to the Lord of all as Lord and Creator of heaven and earth and the One who died for your sins? Now let's read down a little bit farther. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. I want to read verse 12 through 19. Here's what I, here's what I titled it. What if Christ has not risen from the dead? What if Christ has not risen from the dead? Or, if you want another title, the spiritual significance of His resurrection. We have the evidence. Now, what's the spiritual significance of the resurrection of Jesus? What if He had not risen from the dead? Let's read it. Now, if Christ is preached that He has been raised from the dead, how does some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not risen. And if Christ has not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perish if in this life only we have hope in Christ we are of all men the most pitiable so here's a few things I want to pull out from this passage okay the first point that I want you to see in verse 12 is verse 12 through 14 specifically verse 14 if Christ is not risen then our preaching is empty if Christ is not risen from the dead, our preaching is empty. Preaching Christ is pointless if He did not rise. If Christ did not rise, we should stop preaching Him. We should stop talking about Him. We should quit heralding Him if He did not rise. Everyone's final enemy is death and the grave. Won't you think about it? And if He did not rise, He has no power over death and the grave. Everyone's final enemy is death in the grave. You might beat cancer, but you can't beat the grave. You might delay death, but you cannot beat and defeat death. You can't do that. And if Christ died and rotted in a tomb, He can't either, and He can't save you from it. We should stop talking about Him. Our preaching is empty if He did not rise. If He didn't rise, He's not the Christ, because the Christ was prophesied to be the eternal King 
forever and ever. So if he didn't rise, he's not the Christ. If he didn't rise, he is not the Son of God because he did not get the seal of approval from the Father, the amen of the Father by rising him from the dead. Psalm 16 verse 10 says, You will not, it's like the Christ speaking, You will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. If he, if he was corrupted in the grave, He is not the Christ, He is not the Son of God, and He ain't worth preaching. Second point from this passage, still in verse 14. If Christ is not risen, what? Your faith is empty. Verse 14, your faith is empty. If Christ is not risen, not only is preaching vain, but trusting Christ is vain as well. If Christ is not risen, not only should we stop talking about Him, but we should stop trusting in Him. If Christ is not risen, your faith has no value because the object of your faith is unworthy. Faith is of no value if the object of your faith is powerless. You understand that? Like you can have faith, you can believe in confidence that tree bark will cure cancer. But the object of your faith is lacking and nothing will happen. Your faith is of no value. You, you might as well, if Christ is not risen from the dead, you might as well have faith in tree bark instead of the risen Christ because he's not raised from the dead. If Christ did not rise, he is not the promised Christ who was prophesied to live forever. He is just a man. He has no power to save. Faith in and of itself helps no one. And if Christ is not risen from the dead, faith in him helps no one. Your faith is empty, verse 14 says. If Christ has not risen. Third, verse 17. If Christ has not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. If Christ did not rise, we are all still in our sins. If Christ did not rise, His sacrifice on the cross for our sins was meaningless. To be in our sins is a horrible place to be. Think about it. In our sins, this is a horrible place to be. This means God the judge, God the hater of sin and the hater of wickedness looks at you and you're right in the midst of it. You are in sin. You are in wickedness. It's a horrible place to be. The greatest need we have is to somehow be, have our sin removed from us so that we are in them no more. And the Bible teaches that Christ came to the earth and that he had our sins removed from us onto Himself. And He died the sinner's death for our sins. That all the just punishment of God. Think about it. Why would the sins not just float off into nothingness and nobody gets punished? Because God is a just judge. He's a good judge. And He will pour out punishment on wickedness. It's what good judges do. And so instead of doing nothing and letting us go to hell, He comes to the earth in the flesh and our sin removed from us and placed on Him. And He takes the punishment we deserve. While hanging on the cross, He said, it is finished. It means paid in full. It is finished, paid in full. And then God the Father said, Amen, by rising from the dead. said, He is the one. Romans 1.4 declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. But, but if Christ is not risen, if He's not risen, He's not received the Amen of the Father. If Christ is not risen, those words of hope, it is finished, are empty. If Christ is not risen, 
Sin was never really transferred onto him. And we are still in our sins. If he's not risen, we still bear them. Last point out of that section. If Christ is not risen, we all perish. Verse 18. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ. Fallen asleep means death. Christians who died, it's called falling asleep. They've fallen asleep in Christ, have perished. Perished. This is not referring to a physical death. Okay? Otherwise, a sentence wouldn't make sense, right? If Christ didn't rise, those who have, those who have fallen asleep or died, have died. So the sentence doesn't make sense. It's not just talking about a physical death here. The word perish literally means destroyed. If Christ is not risen, we will all be destroyed. Every one of us who die with our hope in Jesus will be destroyed. We will not face eternal bliss. We'll face eternal torment, destruction forever and ever. Every one of us deserves to perish. Every one of us deserves the flames of eternal hell. You know that. You know every one of us, if we get what we deserve, that's what we deserve. We deserve, we deserve Death. We, we deserve to perish. That's what we deserve. And the Holy Spirit whispers that to every person in this room like this. There's none righteous. No, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. There's none who does good. No, not one. Their tongues have, they have practiced deceit with their tongues. With their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Destruction and misery are in their ways. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And the Holy Spirit makes it known that every one of us deserves death and eternal punishment. We deserve to perish. Is there any hope? Is there any hope that we would not perish? Yes. Yes, here's the hope. Christ has supplied justification. He supplied justification. We deserve to perish because there's sin on our record in heaven. But Christ swiped the sins off the record in heaven, laid them upon His own self, and He took the wrath of God for us. Romans 4.25 He was delivered to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. But wait a minute. If Christ is not raised, our sins are still on the record. And if Christ is not raised, we're going to perish. So is there any hope? Is there any hope that we would not perish then? Yes. Christ has supplied sanctification for us. He supplied it for us. We have hope because Christ Jesus, the mediator, Fully man, fully God stands as a mediator between us and God. He's our great high priest interceding on our behalf. He intercedes for us continually. He sanctifies us. He conforms us into His own image. And finally, He presents us perfect before the holy God. Hebrews 7.25 says it like this. He, Jesus, is able to save us to the uttermost who come to God through Him. Because He always lives to make intercession for us. He just keeps interceding on our behalf. He's the man. He's, he's our mediator. The man of heaven. Intercede on our behalf. But wait a minute. If Christ is not risen, if He's not risen, He's still in a tomb. If Christ is not risen, He is not still alive and therefore He can't stand in heaven as our great high priest. If He's not risen, there is no man in heaven standing in the gap for us as our intercessor. 
If he is not risen, there's no one to sanctify us. There's no one to present us blameless in that last day. If he is not risen, we will surely perish. Is there any hope that we wouldn't perish? Is there any hope that we wouldn't perish? Yes. Christ has supplied our glorification. He supplied our glorification. The scripture is clear. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-18. It says Christ Jesus, the God-man, is going to one day descend from heaven with a shout. It means He's in heaven and He's going to descend from heaven with a shout. A voice of an archangel. Trumpet in God. The dead in Christ are going to rise. And we who are alive remain are going to be caught up together with Him to meet Him in the air. And thus we'll always be with the Lord. The dead in Christ are going to be raised with glorified bodies, living in Christ, transformed into a glorified state with Christ. All those for whom He died, with Him forever in heaven in a resurrected state. But wait a minute. If He's not risen and ascended on high, then He'll by no means return. He's still in the tomb. How will He come back and get us? There's no one that will come and receive us to Himself if He's not risen. If He's not risen, the dead in Christ remain dead until that day of final judgment when eternal torment comes to them. If He's not risen, there's no hope for us and we will surely perish. But here's what you have to do. Everything Paul just said is hypothetical, right? Everything he said, if He's not risen, it's all hypothetical. He's already proven in the first eight verses that He has indeed risen from the dead. So then we can reverse all these and we're going to look at them in reverse order and we can say He is risen and therefore He has done these things and these things have happened for us. So let's go through them in reverse order. Let me reverse the statement. Christ Jesus has risen from the dead and we shall never perish. Those in Christ will never be destroyed because Christ was destroyed for you. He was delivered up for our sins and raised for our justification. Christ has risen. There's a man standing in heaven right now with nail scars in his hand as a remembrance that he's laid down his life for you. Christ is risen. There's a man standing in heaven right now interceding on our behalf and one day he will present you blameless before the holy God. Christ is risen from the dead. There's a man in heaven who will one day return to this earth and He'll receive us to Himself and we will be safely with Him forever. John 10, 28 says this, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of My hand. Point two, keep going. Christ Jesus is risen from the dead and we are no longer in our sins. Worship the risen Christ with me. We are no longer in our sins. My sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin. Not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Christ paid it all. He said it's finished. It's finished at the cross. And then God the Father gave an earth shattering. Amen. It is finished indeed by raising Him up from the dead. There in the ground, His body laid. Light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave, He rose again. And now He stands in victory. 
He stands in victory. Sin's curse has lost its grip on me. I'm His. He is mine. Bought with the precious blood of Jesus. He's resurrected indeed. He's standing in victory. And we stand there with Him no longer in our sins. Let's go to the third. Christ Jesus has risen from the dead and your faith is not empty. Brothers and sisters in Christ, listen to me. Your faith is is not in vain. Because you've placed your faith, the object of your faith is the one who has everlasting arms. The resurrected one with everlasting arms. So your faith is not empty. Brothers and sisters of Christ, this just said, your faith is not empty. You've put yourself under the the refuge of the eternal one who died for your sins and rose again. Your faith is not empty. Have confidence in yourself and you'll be disappointed. Have confidence in another, you'll be disappointed. Have confidence in anything this world has to offer, and you will be disappointed. But those who put their confidence in the risen Savior, the risen King, will never, ever, ever, ever be disappointed. Christ was not playing. He wasn't playing when He said this. There's no other God besides me a just God and a Savior. There is none besides Me. Look to Me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. If your heart has truly said this to Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, if if your heart said this to Christ, your faith is not empty. Your faith is not in vain. And lastly, if Christ Jesus has risen from the dead, He is worthy to be preached. Verse 14 says, If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. But remember, we're flipping that. It's hypothetical. Therefore, if Christ is risen, and He is, and if He is risen, preaching Christ is not empty, it's full. The most meaningful thing you ever do. Preaching, proclaiming the risen Christ. Therefore, brothers and sisters in Christ, preach Him. Preach Him. Preach Him is crucified for our sins. Preach Him as the risen Son of God. Preach Him as Lord of all. Every tongue must confess it. Preach Him as the reigning and ruling King. Every knee must bow before Him. Preach Him as commander of all men. Preach Him as the one that desires all to be saved and none to perish. Oh, the love of Christ. Preach Him. Preach Him as the coming one who will give to all men their due. Preach Him. Preach Him with joy in your heart. Preach Him with reverence and awe. Preach Him with fervor and zeal and passion. Preach Him. Preach Him to yourself. Preach Him to your spouse. Preach Him to your children. Preach Him to your friends. Preach Him to strangers. Preach Him to those who have already heard about it. Preach Him to those who have never heard about it. Preach Him to every nation, tribe, and tongue on this earth. Preach Him. Preach Him for the salvation of the lost. Preach Him for the building up of the body of Christ. Preach Him because He commands you to preach Him. Preach Him because you want to preach Him. Preach Him because you fear Him. Preach Him because you love Him. Preach the Lord Jesus Christ. Preach Him daily. Preach Him evening, morning, and noon. Preach Him when you sit down, when you rise up, when you go to bed at night, and when you rise up. Do it all the time. Just preach Him. In season, out of season, preach Christ. Psalm 34.1 I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. 
Psalm 35, 35-28. My tongue shall speak of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. Psalm 96-2. Proclaim the good news of His salvation day after day. Is He worthy of it? Last thing I want to say. And this is to my lost or unbelieving friends that are in the room. John 20. And I'm not just saying this because I'm up here. I want to talk to you afterwards. Let's talk. Okay? Sometimes when I address somebody that maybe you're not a believer, maybe, you, maybe you're thinking about these things, maybe you're totally rejected. Okay? A lot of times you feel like people just address you from here. I want to talk to you. But let me talk to you now as well. John chapter 20. I want you to put yourself, if you're here, you're lost, you're unbelieving. You don't know Him. You don't believe Him. He's not Lord to you. I want you to put yourself in the place of Thomas. How are you going to respond to the resurrection of Jesus? John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, unbeliever, please listen. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. Jesus had visited the twelve, but Thomas wasn't there. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. You see the eyewitness testimony? We've seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the print of nails and put my finger into the print of nails and my hand into his side, I will not believe. These weren't just gullible people looking for a resurrected Christ. They were not looking for it. They were unbelieving. What could have possibly turned men like this? And after eight days, His disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came. He came again. This time Thomas is there and Jesus came to show Himself to these eyewitnesses. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and He stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Jesus looks right at Thomas as he looks at you. He looks right at Thomas. He says, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas's response. And Thomas answered and said, my Lord and my God. And that's what I desire for you to do. To consider the resurrected Christ and what he's done. And you bow down before him. You say, that's the Lord. He said He was Lord. He said He was Lord of all. He said He was God. He said He was Savior. And I bow down before Him. I believe Him. I believe these resurrection accounts. Verse 29, And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen Me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Listen to me. This has been on my heart. You're talking about the Lord. Okay? This is, this is Creator of the universe. This is God of the universe. Come into the flesh. And we read a story a few, maybe a month or two ago. And in this story, he's walking down. There's multitudes of people all around. And there's this blind little beggar sitting over here. And he's screaming, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And all the multitudes want him to shut up. And the Savior, the Creator of the universe, looks to him. And he says, Call him to me. Tell him to come on. That's the Savior. And I desire that you would call out to Him too if you're unbelieving. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for these words and this truth. God, You use such pitiful mouths 
pitiful heralds, pitiful messengers, God, to proclaim your word. I just hope you get so much glory, God, even using weak heralds like all of us. God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, pray that their heart will be softened and they would turn to you, Lord Jesus, with all their heart. They'd put their hope in you. And God, for all of us here who are believing, who are your sons and your daughters, I just pray, God, that you would help us to worship you and bow down and live our lives in your presence. You are still alive. You still hear us now as we pray. And I pray that you help us to live our lives in your presence, God. And God, give us the boldness to proclaim you. In Jesus' name, amen.